All right, we are back after a long break. <laughs> uh, Very long break. <laughs> of Without a Mic podcast. I'm Roger. This is Spencer. And uh, we first talked about our first episode, we talked about movies. And so we've kind of detoured from that a little bit. And now we're coming back to a particular movie for this episode that we both have seen and we both have some thoughts on, which is Dune Part One. <laughs> yes, I'm actually so what's funny and there should be a little bit of a background given here is Roger has been reading the book and I'm sure you'll go into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I saw a pre-screening of the movie and we we kind of made the initial thought of we're not going to talk about this until we've both seen it and we can go on a podcast. So we literally haven't spoken to each other about our views. I even wrote a film review and Roger wouldn't read it until after he saw the movie. So we're going into this this podcast pretty open, you know, clean slate. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I just finished the book on Friday and then I saw the movie Saturday night. So I've completely finished the book and I can kind of bring that perspective in. Um, I definitely don't know as much about the book as like a hardcore Dune fan who's read the book and all the sequels to it. Um, but I can compare a little bit of the book to this particular movie. Um, so just off the bat, you know, what, I guess, what's something that you might want to highlight to, to get us started about it? What was your first initial impression? Oh, okay. So I would say the first thing that should come to mind is I have been waiting for two years for this film to come out. And Same. so I had, I had high expectations. Um, I went in with high expectations. I was very gritty on the way that I watched it, meaning I focused so hard on details. I didn't watch it as almost a viewer would naturally just entertain themselves and watch a movie. Um, I really tried to understand the story because the only feedback I was given into going and seeing this movie was that it was extremely complex. That's the only thing I knew about this film. I didn't know the story. Um, I was told it's going to be kind of our modern day Star Wars or Lord of the Rings brought to life. And that was kind of it. And so I went into it and... I, I think the number one thing that stuck out to me this film, and we'll dive in deeper, um, was Hans Zimmer. Um, that's my number one. I mean, the score from Hans Zimmer was so unique to this film. And it's it's interesting because people know Inception, people know Interstellar, people know The Dark Knight, and people even listen to music from Inception and Interstellar without watching the film. Mm-hmm. I genuinely can't imagine anybody listening to this soundtrack without the film present because it's so, it's it's specifically tailored for this film and that alone. And and it was so well done too. I mean, it brought out emotions. It, it brought meaning to certain aspects to the scenes and aspects to the film in, in itself and even character development. And so I think the, the score itself was the number one thing that slapped me in the face as I left the theater. And I said, wow, Hans Zimmer outdid himself. This is top three in my, my you know, personal opinion of Hans Zimmer and his performances. So that's the number one thing I took away. What about you, man? Um, that, there was two things. That was one of them. Um, and fun fact, for those of you who don't know, Hans Zimmer actually turned down doing the soundtrack for Tenant to do this movie because um, he's a huge Dune fan. And both him and the director both love Dune so much. And so this was kind of their opportunity to, to sort of create their love letter to the Dune story, um, which I think is pretty cool. But I think for me, it was the cinematography. Like just it. the only film that immediately came to my mind that kind of gave me the same feeling was The Revenant, actually. Um, just the way the shots were filmed and sort of the the... The shots they chose and then the way they did those shots um, you just get a lot of specific scenes that convey so much with very simple things um, and i think the revenant kind of does the same thing where it's supposed to give you an emotion from images instead of like having things happen that have emotion with them um, specifically like i mean if you think about it ultimately it's a it's a movie about a planet that's literally sand like yeah you know, and to make that beautiful is, is really impressive, I think. Um, that, was, that was actually in my review. I don't know if you've read it yet. but no. <laughs> it, So in my review, it, it's funny because I, I the way I wrote my review is I didn't want to describe the I didn't want to just give a summary on the movie mm-hmm. or on the film and the plot. I wanted to describe what I saw, what I felt and what I heard when I went and watched this film. And one of them, I said, hey, I mean, pretty much, you know, visually speaking, 
it's completely dry, it's completely sandy. It's pretty much a future that we don't want to admit to, but it's one that we're going to end up having at some point in time. And that's one of scarce resources. And, and Denis Villeneuve and you know, the entire team, they made this exceptionally beautiful. So to your point with the cinematography, they made this movie so immersive visually with sand. And so that's something that's quite impressive. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And I mean, The Revenant was kind of the same way. It's like, it's this like wintry forest and a guy basically like dying, <laughs> spending two and a half hours of your time watching this guy go through this, yeah. this experience. And it's like beautiful, even though it's like pretty bland if you like just take it for like subject matter. So yeah, I think the score too, obviously. Um, and I think that's a great point that it's, it would be very hard to listen to it just you know because i throw on Hans zimmer sometimes just if i want kind of like an epic background to whatever i'm doing mm -hmm. um but i would have to be in a weird mood to throw on the dune soundtrack <laughs> and just like i know get these weird vocals and kind of this choppy like rhythm uh i, I would I have to be in a weird mood but no i think those were the two best parts of the movie to be honest and, and obviously well and the acting you know i think the actors fantastic cast first of all and fantastic execution by that cast so I want to know, because I am curious, once again, this is the first time you and I have chatted about this movie. Mm -hmm. I want to know what your overall feelings were about this movie and kind of your points, right? So you, you kind of gave me the points that <clears throat> stuck out to you the most when you left the theater. Mm -hmm. I want to know your overall emotion, you know, what you thought about the film and then just certain pieces that, that you kind of took with you. So it was hard not to compare this to the book. Um, and I... So to give you a little bit of background, I've read, um, I'm not super, super well-versed, but I've read my share of like epic fantasy and like some of these heavier, like um, fantasy and sci-fi books, I'll say. Um, and there's, to take a slight detour, there's, there's two main sort of styles, I feel. One of them is very like character driven and the other is very like um, world building driven. Um, and a character driven book is more like, let's like if you've seen game of thrones that's a good example of like let's make a bunch of characters and then we'll make them make decisions and that will drive the story um world building ones are more like there's like magics or this world or this you know this setting that sort of drives the narrative and dune is very much like a world building story like mm -hmm. um frank herbert the author really loved building worlds and and for that matter actually J J uh, tolkien did as well with lord of the rings like he loved making worlds and languages and stuff. He wasn't so much concerned about the characters, which is why if you read Lord of the Rings, it's not at all the same like the movies. It's very dry and like <laughs> a lot of lengthy explanations. Um, and there's a series coming out on Amazon Prime called The Wheel of Time. And that's also by another author who was very into world building. So those books and Dune are, there's a lot of time spent developing this world and a little bit less time developing the characters. And so my impression of the book, which was also the same in the movie, was it felt a little bit choppy with the character development um, because it's, you know, here's Paul, here's kind of where he's at. Let's build the world for a while. And by the way, this is what is happening with Paul now, but you don't see that gap, you know, mm -hmm. um, now he's, you know, and full disclaimer, we'll put this in the title, but there's spoilers in this for this movie. So yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like Paul, all of a sudden he's having visions and like, you know, he's seeing the future and, you know, but it's like, how did he get there? Like they kind of gloss over that stuff. So if you're going for purely the story and expecting like this eloquent, like inception, like dark night, like character development, long, deep story, uh, that's not what this film is about. Um, and that's not what it's going to give you, at least from my experience. Um, it's definitely more about creating this world which I think it did, the movie did a great job of, um, like we talked about. It really made a really beautiful experience and, and it made you feel things, not necessarily because of the characters all the time, but also because of like kind of the world and the things that went along with it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that was kind of a big thing for me was, I was like, the book was kind of choppy. It wasn't my favorite book ever. Um, and the characters sort of seemed to like skip along uh, instead of like more of a smooth, gradual um, character arc um, okay so that that's kind of like a little bit of i guess what would you give it out of 10 what would you get it out of 10 10 being the best um i feel like if i were to rate it on like story i would probably drop it to like a seven 
maybe okay. but like the experience probably like a nine with like the music the the cinematography like the, the acting i think that is fantastic but i think the mm. story for me is lacking um and it's not necessarily the movie's fault because that's how the book is and there were quite a few things they didn't put in from the book um, which i can cover later but i'd say probably like a nine on the presentation and a seven on the the substance of it but that's just my personal okay. taste. but it's again it's it's kind of unfair because it's not necessarily the movie's fault because it's going off the book and for the most part it was pretty true to the book yeah that makes sense okay yeah in my in my film review i gave it a, an 8.7 overall okay. 8.7 out of 10 and it's funny because i completely agree i think I, as i was watching this film you know Paul is the main character right off the bat. Within the first mm -hmm. five minutes, you know he's special. You know that he's meant to do something bigger than the movie itself, but you don't really understand any of that. You don't understand where he came to be at that point. And what's funny is I almost think that the team is taking this Star Wars approach. And I actually think in part two, we're going to understand a lot more because we see a lot of visions. And granted, once again, I have not read the book, so it very much could just be, this is how it is. Um, but in the film, you see Paul experience a lot of visions, a lot of visions about, you know, these, these people, a lot of visions about this girl, a lot of visions about, you know, what's going to happen in, in regards to his, his house and his family. Um, and maybe they don't bring in a lot of background to him, but I think we'll understand a lot more about part one after part two comes out. And especially because it's a complex story. Um, they even, Denis talked about split, he's wanting to split this movie up into more than two films, but he's only been guaranteed two. So he's like, all right, well, how can I squeeze the most out of it in two films? I mean, he did it in two and a half hours with one. So I can only imagine what the second half is going to be. But um, overall, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's so far, um, you know, they, House of Gucci is going to come out. French Dispatch came out to independent theaters. It's coming out next or this week. There are movies, Spider-Man, you know, there are movies that are going to come out to kind of give it a little bit of competition, but I do think Dune will win Best Picture just for the way that it's kind of given us an original film. Now, that doesn't mean that it's the best. It doesn't mean that it was the best storyline, but like you said, I think overall it kind of enabled the viewer to have an experience and I am very curious. Did you go watch it in theaters? I actually didn't. Okay. So at, <laughs> on my very last line of my review, I said this movie was made it for was. IMAX. And I 100% encourage anybody to go watch it in IMAX, if not the very least in theaters, because it was so immersive. It was so, the sound is what stuck out to me the most. So obviously the sound in a theater with, you know, these Dolby Atmos, speakers around you it's just going to be a different experience but at the same time you know it's it's still a film and it's meant to be made for the home as it is for the theater but i enjoyed it um i do think that if i read the book i would have a different understanding to to what was happening i understood the complexity of building the worlds mm -hmm. and if you're if you're not a story person that's okay because denis and the team they, they did a great job of making this experiential and very much right. immersive when in reality, the first part of this film is meant to be pretty story oriented, while the second part of this film, I think, is going to have a lot more of an action, you know, punch to it compared to or at least an adventurous punch where this one was very much the developing side of things. Yeah, I. The, I don't want to lean too much on the book, but I do want to bring up a couple points on it. Um, and I'm not going to spoil the second half of the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it, but the book, so the book is three parts. Um, and this movie covered like one and a half. So it was pretty, this was about where I thought it would stop. Um, um, maybe even went a little further than I thought it would. Um, but it was a good stopping point. Um, the second half of the book is kind of like, it's going to be the, so I guess if you look at it in this way, this is the film. So the first half is like story. And then the second half is like world building. I feel like the next mm -hmm. movie is going to be first half world building, second half story. That's okay. kind of my impression. So okay. without spoiling too much, just to kind of set this expectation, like he just got to the Fremen at the end of the book 
or at the end of the movie and they're kind of like going off into wherever the Fremen are, are um, after he just fought Jameis and killed him. Um, and most of the second half of the book is spent with the Fremen. I'll just say that. So you're going to get a lot more world building where you kind of see like the Fremen side of Arrakis. Okay. Um, and then there's sort of a, a finality conclusion that happens at the end of the book. But in the book, it was a very, it wasn't like, um, like most big action movies, like the final action sequence. Like if you think of Avengers, you know, that was like almost an hour of actual fighting. Yeah. This is, they're going to make it into that, but in the book, it's not that much. Okay. So he, because again, he's not really about the, the characters and the, and the action. It's more about the world. And so mm. most of the book is building out this idea of Arrakis, which is cool. But like kind of to your point, if you're not a big story person, this might actually appeal more to you because it is about the experience. And I think they're going to do a great job with the movie, like based on the first one, the second movie. I think yeah. they're going to do a great job of like delving more into Arrakis and kind of like presenting it in a really beautiful way. But if you're expecting like, I mean, and I'm sure they're going to do a final a justice to the words to the end of the movie, but it's not, it's not going to be, you know, Avengers, you know, level ending, I guess, um, if yeah. that's you're kind of expecting. Um, so I guess that, that would be kind of my, my, expectation for it based on how the book goes um so you're going to get a lot more like down to earth like low-key stuff in this in most of the first half of the second movie that makes sense that makes sense i thought it was i thought it was somewhat intriguing so my main critique for the film that i threw in my my film review was th there were moments where the actors and actresses portrayed their emotions so beautifully like they did such a great job and I feel like there were moments that, and me being, you know, a photographer at heart and loving, you know, kind of the aspects of lenses, they used certain focal points that were a little bit distant on really heavy emotions. And I thought they should have been very intimate. They should have allowed you to feel a little uncomfortable with the characters. They should have, and there was one time that they did, and I thought it was beautiful. And that was actually a scene that everybody's seen that they've watched if they've seen the trailer mm -hmm. and that's timothy chalamet with his with his hand or paul with his hand you know in the box and he has a you know poison needle to his throat he expresses a lot of emotion there and i thought they used the correct focal length and they did a great job at, in that department with that scene but i thought there were actually about three or four more pretty heavy moments that we didn't get the same experience um, and funny enough, that was actually the first scene they filmed throughout the entire film hmm. was that scene. And that's when uh, Denis was like, I casted the right people. <laughs> that was like his weight off his shoulders. He said, you know, this is how I knew it was going to be a successful film was after that scene. But that was my main critique is, you know, with how beautiful this film was cinematically with the environment, with the surroundings. Like you said, because of the lack of character development, it would have been nice to have a little bit of that emotion with the characters, but. For sure. Another scene that I noticed kind of going along with your critique was the scene where right after the Reverend mother leaves, right after he puts his hand in the box and then they kind of finish up that experience, she gets on her ship and leaves. And then it's, you're left with Rebecca Ferguson, who's Lady Jessica standing on that platform. And then like barely through the fog, you can see Paul and they have this kind of really impactful exchange but it feels like like i get why they have kind of the smoke and the fog there but it kind of gets in the way of it being more intimate um because she's they're kind of explaining like yeah there's you're the, there's a the one and you know this is kind of the background of it but and obviously paul is the one right um but it just feels kind of distant because they can barely see each other and they're kind of like yelling through the fog mm -hmm. um Another big scene that actually, this is a good time for me because my critique is also similar, um, that they messed up, not messed up, but they, they didn't take full advantage of certain moments where, at least in the book, my impression was these moments were massive. Like one of the biggest moments in the book that didn't happen in the movie the way it should have is um, 
to kind of go back, there's the scene where they fly out on the ornithopter to see Dune for the first time. So you've got Duke Leto um, played by Oscar Isaac, and then you've got Paul and you've got Gurney Halleck played by Josh Brolin. And they're kind of seeing Dune for the first time. And then they see this crawler that's a harvester that's kind of like, okay, yeah, there's a worm coming. We need to come pick it up. The, the pickup craft comes in and it can't take it out. So they decide to go save the crew. Um, and Paul gets out and goes to help people. And then he kind of collapses and has this vision in the book. He, I don't think he even gets out of the thopter. He definitely doesn't have a vision. Um, and so they kind of just pick him up and it's more about Duke Leto at that point than it is about Paul and, um, kind of, uh, Liette Kynes, who's, uh, the woman scientist, the environmentalist actually in the book, that's a male character. So they switched the gender. Um, which I think was good because they're definitely more of a male dominant um, book. Um, the Liet Kynes is kind of going through this process of like, oh, Duke Leto, this is a guy that can really like bring Arrakis together and like unite them. Kind of, this is what we need because he's willing to risk himself for these common people, um, and the Harkonnens would never do that. So Duke Leto definitely has a lot more character development in the book, which kind of endears you a little bit more to him when he does die. Um, but to kind of go back to my main point, Paul has that vision right there. And that's kind of like one of his first big visions um, in the book. Um, well, to go to match it in the movie, in the movie, like when they get into that little tent for the first time and he starts like having his visions again, he says, I see like a crusade and all this stuff. He has it all right there. Like that is like for the first time he has like all these visions and like it lasts a while in the book. So he's like seeing multiple realities multiple futures like branching timelines like basically the doctor strange like yeah there's one solution kind of experience so he has that massive massive like vision right there and like he basically goes into it as paul and comes out of it as like the Kwisatz Haderach or like the one he's very he's a lot more serious he's a lot more somber he's a lot more logical um and Jessica kind of experiences that and she notices the change and she starts to become afraid of him at that point. And so I think, okay. I think in the movie, I can see why they did that to kind of like tell you what's happening without telling you because it is very choppy, but that scene could have had like so much more like power because you kind of just see him like, he kind of freaks out a little bit and then they move on. But that scene in the book, I think was so like impactful and really like was a huge turning point for Paul as a character. And in the book and the movie, I feel like they kind of downplayed it too much. And it kind of just felt like, oh, yeah, he's just seeing another vision. Let's move on. When in reality, that was like his moment of change. That was the moment. What, are you are you talking about the moment he was only with his mother? Yes. In, in the, okay. In okay. that little tent. Yeah. And um, she's she's kind of like watching him, like trying to help him. But he's like kind of like, you know, yeah, spitting, foaming at the mouth a little bit and like like he's saying, I see like a burning crusade or like in my name or something like that. Well, so. it's interesting because he, so Timothy Chalamet, quick sidestep, because I feel like this is the first time many people are seeing him on screen. Mm -hmm. Timothy Chalamet is great. And I've actually had the question, why do people hype him up so much? I will say, if, you, if you've seen Beautiful Boy or King or Call Me By Your Name or Lady Bird, even Little Women, he he has a way of of being emotional though he plays similar roles where he's a boy who's turning into a man or he's a younger guy who's trying to figure himself out and mature he has a way of expressing his emotions that allow you to truly feel with this character and i felt like what he did in that point and it's funny because i don't know the book is i had no idea the magnitude of his vision but his his emotional expression was so enticing Mm -hmm. but you're right because after after we leave that tent after he leaves that tent i had i didn't think back to that vision at all i didn't right. I didn't think back to like this is where it changed this is where the turning point was and to go alongside you know that critique kenzie mentioned this to me after we watched it uh, my second time and her first time she said you know what's weird by the way spoiler once again um is when paul's dad dies you know and and these other people when they when they die you don't feel an attachment. You don't feel really sorrowful. Sorrowful. There's only one character that we kind of both, you know, felt that way with, and that was um, Duncan Idaho. 
Yeah, Duncan. Yeah. And and it's Jason funny Momoa. because they put a little bit more effort in in showcasing you, Jason Momoa, Duncan, um, his his brotherhood, his brotherly love, his friendliness. Whereas I almost want them to build more on these characters to make us feel a little bit more sorrowful and a little bit more sad and a little bit more down. Cause I think that only makes the ending of the first of part one even better. Whereas we lost characters, we didn't really care. We were like, oh, it's kind of sad but we don't think about it that much. So you almost have a level playing field of emotions and it should be, you're really high, you're really low, you mm-hmm. come back to the middle. It should be that kind of roller coaster of emotions that I think they also kind of missed out on. But to their credit, you know, if the book is also choppy on the character development, they might've said, hey, we want to keep it as traditional or as, you know, close to the book as we could have, but just a minor missed opportunity in my opinion. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because in the book, Duncan Idaho is less developed and his dad is more developed Um, Mm. because so in the movie, Duncan Idaho kind of comes in with a thopter and Liet Kynes and they save them. Um, and then they go to the, the base and that's when the, you know, the Harkonnen soldiers come in and start killing him. And then he locks the door and, and basically sacrifices himself in the book. He shows up when that fight is happening and saves them, but he was never with them in the, in the Thopter. Mm. So that like that scene, when he first, you meet him and he's like, yeah, I'm going to the planet tomorrow you know, that's one of the bigger scenes where he talks to him. And then once he gets to Arrakis, they interact again, but he's mostly out doing stuff. And then um, he's actually drunk the night that the, he gets drugged and he's drunk the night that Duke Leto is killed. Um, so they kind of like lock him up because he's like kind of raving and stuff. And so, and then you just don't see him until that fight where he like shows up and saves them and sacrifices himself. So mm. I, th- I think that's interesting that you didn't feel you felt more about him, but I still feel like there wasn't much to go on with, with Duncan Idaho in the first place. Yeah, like, yeah, he was the most like appealing character, but he still wasn't that appealing of a character in relation to, you know, other movies and stuff. So and, well, this is my take. I think I only Paul and his mother would I have felt something deeper because they're the only two focal points. Yep. As, as you know, the protagonists in the, in the film, they're the only two that, that we get a focus on throughout the entire film from start to finish. It starts with Paul and his mother at the, at the table, right? That's pretty much what we see with them at the very beginning. And it ends. You're back. <laughs> My back. Yeah. You just cut out. Um, you were talking about uh, Paul and his mother at the table. He said, that's the first thing we see. And then you froze. So, okay. Yeah. So I can't see you right now, but that's fine. My, my power went on and came out. Oh, there you are. Okay. Okay. So we're back. Um, we're back. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're um, good. This is why we miss being in person, man. Mm-hmm. This is why I've missed doing our podcast in person, but it started with them. And then you, you end the movie with them as well. So you, those are the only two that you have some substantial emotional attachment to while everybody else, like you said, if we would have had that scene from the book with Oscar Isaac, you know, with, with the father, with Paul's father, it would have been a completely different, you know, emotional experience when we lost him. So I guess one thing I actually don't want to side turn, or I don't want to take a sidetrack too much, but I didn't ask you, what did you think of, of the villain of this film or the villain of this story? So they show him a lot less. Yeah. The Baron, Baron, uh, Vladimir Harkonnen is he's in the book a lot more than he is in the movie. And he feels more like a villain in the book than he does in the movie. I, I mean, he's kind of one of those villains. That's kind of just a, like he's really not that tough like himself, but it's just like his influence is really what makes him. And I felt like they didn't show quite enough of that to really like elevate him to where he could be. Um, like, I mean, it, it, it almost feels like his nephew played by Dave Bautista um, is more of a villain than he is just because of how mm-hmm. much more involved he is. Um, whereas in the in the book, like he's a lot more scary, 
Um, and also, uh, they don't really say his name too much in the movie, but there's a there's the bald guy that has kind of like the the drawing on his lip. He dies yeah. with the poisonous gas. His name's Piter in the book. Um, he is like super super scary in the book. Like he's a formidable formidable like threat to the good guys in the book. And in the movie, he was forgettable. Like very, you could not tell. Like. He's literally yeah. polka dot man in the new Suicide Squad. So that's if he's polka dot man in this, actor. he just has one polka dot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like he he's basically like planning this entire scheme. Like he's the one that um, that uh, Dr. Yue is reporting to for the poison and killing Duke Leto. He's the one who actually in the book basically frames the Lady Jessica as the traitor, and everyone believes that which was not in the movie at all. Interesting. Like, like Duncan Idaho, um, Gurney Halleck, played by Josh Brolin, Thufir Hawat, uh, all of them think it's her. And uh, basically there's a there's kind of a cool moment where Duke Leto is talking to Paul. And, and one of the things he keeps saying in the book is like, I feel like I'm about to die. I feel like I'm about to die. My time's coming soon. And so he has this conversation, his last conversation with Paul. He tells him, he's like, let your mother know that I never thought she was a traitor. Like I always trusted her. Um, and that's the last conversation he has with Paul. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that develops the characters a little bit more. And they, and I think that having that particular storyline in there would have strengthened um, not only the Duke Leto, but also Piter and kind of the, the evil guys. Cause they, they cut out so much of the evil side. Um, and a lot of the book was not a lot of fluff around them. They were pretty much like, okay, here's our plan here's how it's going. Um, and by taking that out, they kind of weakened their influence and mm. downplay the villain a little bit. Um, because like I said, Dave Bautista is kind of, you could view him a little bit more as the villain. Um, cause he's just involved a little bit more and you know, it's like the Baron, but the Baron's not really like, he doesn't really do that much. Um, yeah. and so when he bites that tooth and blows the poison gas, and it kills Piter in the book. That's like, oh man, like that he got him. Like that's like the number two guy. It's like killing Darth Vader and leaving the Emperor alive. Like that's kind of that's the, the magnitude. Feeling. That's the magnitude. You're like, dang, this guy was like pulling all the strings, and he was like super smart, and he was super crafty and like such a big threat. And now that he's gone, like that's a huge blow. But in the movie, like you're like, oh yeah, another one of those bald guys died. Um, too bad <laughs> they didn't kill the Emperor. So, <laughs> well, I think, it's yeah. It's interesting because you mentioned in the book, and I did not know this, but you mentioned that, you know, Oscar Isaac's character, Paul's father, he kind of knows that his his time is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, I think he has one line and he might have two or three, but I only remember one line when he's talking to his wife at at night and, you know, and, and he's pretty much addressing the question, would you do what you need to to save our son? Mm-hmm. and and i think it was either right before or right after he said something along the lines of like our time like my like our time is you know coming to an end or, or like our time is short or something similar and i almost thought it was an analogy to something else because i was like does he really know that you know he's about to die right now and then when he did die i was like is that a part of the story is that not a part of the story and so me not knowing that as a viewer maybe that's just me being naive and not paying attention but i almost think they they probably should have built that a little bit and threw a little bit more Easter eggs in the, in the mix leading up to that point. So that I was like, wow, this is literally the cherry on top to him saying, I'm about to die. You know, whereas in my head, I was like, shoot, this doesn't look good. He's probably going to end up dying, but I don't know. Whereas I probably should have known at that point that he was going to be done. Um, Yeah. No. Yeah. I think, I mean, he said it multiple times in the book. That was kind of a theme with him was he was like, I feel like I'm going to die um he said it multiple times like pretty obviously and people around him are kind of like no 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 like what are you talking about but he's like no i kind of feel like it's coming like that was kind of his his approach to it and i think maybe they did change it in the movie to to give it more of a shock factor when he does die i mean that's what i'm thinking because i mean if you just if he keeps saying it in the movie and then he dies you know i think that's kind of what you were Maybe, maybe that's what you were struggling with. You're like, is this like hinting at him dying and he's going to die? Or is this like hinting at something else? And like, 
it, it kind yeah. of got lost i think it's almost like, like commit, they don't, one to the other <laughs> yeah and i didn't yeah because you're right because i don't necessarily want them to be like annoying about it and be like mm -hmm. i'm gonna die i'm gonna die i think i'm gonna die but maybe like use certain words or phrases that are tied to death where mm -hmm. he or maybe he's like a little bit confused with his thought process something where it's like starts so minimal and then it just expands 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 to him finally saying i think my time is coming to an end or i think i might end up dying or something where you're like wow okay that does add up to all the pieces um to your point about the baron uh i actually agree to the point where i think they made him physically like almost intimidating but like his actual character and the actions they weren't um and i think they they emphasize that right you, the first time you see him he's in a shower and he's just he's large he's very large and he has this very creepy voice almost emperor palpatine like i mean right. he has this the same you know kind of demeanor but nothing he was saying or doing was really that you know appealing as as an intimidator but his his look you know when he would pretty much glide in the air float in the air and you'd see this massive body that's what you were more intimidated by rather than his actual actions mm -hmm. so that was an intriguing point and I, i'm actually glad you mentioned that so yeah and i mean the book like the first scene you meet him is kind of like it, you kind of have that same feeling of like when he rises up with his suspensors and you're kind of like oh like this guy's kind of scary like uh, but the whole that whole scene is basically him plotting this whole master plan with Piter, and Piter's basically doing most of the work. So um, he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna pull out of Arrakis. We're gonna frame Lady Jessica. We're gonna attack. We're gonna try to kill Paul. You know, we're gonna, you know, we've got our traitor in the mix. Like they basically lay out the whole plan. Um, and again, this is like a world building book, so it's not quite as subtle with the plots in the book because Frank Herbert's like, let me get to making the world. Like, let's write the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Let's, let's make the world. So, so I think in the book, like some of it is like super obvious. And so maybe the only reason I can think is that in a movie, you don't necessarily want like everything just laid out super simply. Um, so it is kind of hard. You know, I, I, I'll give him some slack on that because I felt like that's why the book was so disjointed at points is because Frank Herbert basically lays out what's going to happen, goes to world build and then like jumps ahead, like assuming that you're still following, like, yeah, here's the storyline. Here's the character development, but Dune, like check out Arrakis. Like, this is crazy, right? All this, all the world. Oh, and by the way, like, yeah, Paul had another vision. Like this is happening <laughs> now. Like, you know, he's the chosen one clearly like, okay, now let's go back to Arrakis. And you're like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just so choppy and because I think that's kind of how he wrote it. And so to kind of take them, take like a, it's like a murder mystery where they just tell you everything. It's like, how do we make that interesting in a movie? Um, so I feel like in that aspect, they did a great job. Um, yeah. But again, Especially there was, you can't fix everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, with Hans, it's the same thing with the writer and director, Denis Villeneuve. He was, he's, passionate about doing it's his favorite book he said he read it when he was 14 years old and he fell in love and hearing that he was the one doing the project if you've ever seen arrival or or you know blade runner 2049 i actually saw prisoners last week for the first time great movie i mean i mean he's great and mm -hmm. and and one thing i i mentioned and this will you know kind of lead into my my like encouragements or invitations to anybody who is going to go see it or anybody who has seen it is he allows a story that is so not real right just a story that's so complex and so made up and he allows you to feel as if you're there he allows you to experience it as if you're around it you're around that world is very realistic mm -hmm. Marvel, it's funny because Marvel is so enjoyable, but you know that stuff would never happen, right? Like you, you just, you never feel like that could ever be real. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Denis and Christopher Nolan and, you know, certain directors, they allow you to feel a certain way with these sci-fi movies, like it could actually happen, that it's actually real. And so I will say, man, if you're going to go see it again, I, I encourage you to go see it in theaters, to see oh, it I in plan IMAX. To. Um, I, I encourage anybody to go see it and honestly go in with kind of an open mind 
to viewing a film that you want to take a lot from rather than just going and eating popcorn and drinking, you know, your soda and having an action packed film, like go into it with kind of this open mind of education. Like I want to see what this original story is about. And I call it an original, you know, story and original screenplay because it's been shown three other times but it's failed three other times and i think this oh, is yeah. the first this is the first success story and I, I i thoroughly enjoyed it i actually i enjoyed watching it and then putting my thoughts on paper so i'll probably do it do that a lot more often but go see it in theaters that's my number one like you must go allow yourself to listen to hans zimmer and his and his playlist soundtrack however you want to you know call it you know listen to a score i think you'll really enjoy it yeah i've definitely planned to see it on imax at some point um i wasn't able to go this past weekend so i just watched it on hbo um but i do have a pretty decent sound system so i felt like i did as well as i could with what i had yeah um, yeah but i would say like for it's such a hard it's such a hard movie to like critique i guess because it's so disjointed in a lot of ways like usually you go see a movie and everything kind of comes together you're like yeah the characters the action the music yeah. the, the the cinematography it all kind of like leads to a, a nice conclusion but this one kind of had different branching lines that all kind of went in different directions and you're like yeah. how do i reel this in and and really like understand what i'm experiencing here but i would say for anyone who's interested in seeing it, I think your point of going in with an open mind is, is the best way to see it. Um, if you go in expecting massive fight scenes, you're gonna be disappointed. If you go in expecting like incredible like character development and these character storyline arcs that are just inspiring you, like you're gonna be disappointed. Like if you go in and just kind of like let it happen to you and just let yourself be in the moment, I think that's, that's the best way to experience it. Like it's not a movie where there's a lot of little clues that you're like trying to solve at the end. Like it's probably gonna to be too complex for you to really understand everything that's happening until the end of the second movie. And even then you'll probably have a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's also interesting. Like the movie came, the book came out in like 1965. So you're also <laughs> like, you know, it's very apparent because like, to your point we keep going back to marvel but marvel has mastered so well how to make a movie that engages today's audience like you know and part of the reason why some of these other dune movies have failed is just because they try to make it the book and the book is really boring to be honest like for modern audience because it's it's not about the things that we love which is action and characters and like emotional like moments that inspire you and stuff like that because that's what we go for marvel but Dune is like the opposite of that. Um, and so I think that's that's part of the challenge with this particular story is that it's an older story that has to kind of be modernized. But in some ways, because the director loves the movie, so the story so much, like he's also trying to pay homage to the story and yeah. like get it right. But he's also trying to modernize it. So it feel you can feel that tension because there's certain points like we've talked about where you know, like Paul's emotion, like incredible, like, you know, he, Timothy Chalamet just does such a great job of portraying that emotion and you feel it, but because of the way that they're trying to pay homage to the original story, like his character is limited in some ways, but I don't feel like his acting is limited. And I yeah. feel like yeah. maybe that's the best way to put it. Like the characters are limiting, but the actors are fantastic and they're limited by their characters, but they're not by their acting. Um, and so I think that's, I think that's probably the best way to, to kind of sum it up. But I'm I'm really excited to see how the second part is done. Um, if you're going in expecting Zendaya all over the place, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> she doesn't show up till like two thirds of the way through the book anyway. So the number one thing that the number one question I actually got like immediately the day of was like, how is, you know, Timothy and, and Zendaya's chemistry? I'm like, well, she was in the movie for 10 minutes. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, about, I mean, you see her in visions throughout the entire film, but really her acting performance was shown for 10 minutes. And that was at the very end of part one. And I'm assuming you know, if you're saying, hey, you know, she doesn't show up until two thirds into the, you know, second half, I don't know. Maybe we'll get a similar experience. 
he'll be in most of the second pretty much all of the second movie okay, okay. um yeah so now that she's like it's just getting to her being in there they cut out a lot of stuff in the first third of the of the book to get to kind of fit it into the two and a half hours so um that's why i don't think it's going to turn into a three-part movie it would just the the second movie would just be basically just hanging out on arrakis with the heart with the fremen for two yeah. and a half hours and then it's like okay now we'll make a third movie about the ending so it's it's definitely going to be a two-part movie at this point but she yeah you'll she's it's hard to gauge because in the book i feel like she was really feisty at first and this one i didn't feel like she was that much she's yeah. kind of just like whatever which is kind of how zendaya is her personality but um, she's very lax very yeah. chill she was like super like fiery and feisty in the book when they first met. So um, I, I think they kind of changed her character a little bit, but I think for time's sake to condense the story into the time they have for the movies, I think just skipping to the part where she's kind of interested in him is, you know, kind of what they're going for. So, yeah. But well, yeah, I she- think if, if, if you're going to, if you're going to leave with two things that probably stick out to you, I think one of them, you'll feel something. Mm-hmm. You won't understand the story. Like no. you'll understand what happened, but you won't understand the names. You won't understand even mo- most of the characters, mm-hmm. but you'll feel something. When you leave, you'll be like, whoa, like I, I felt something big. And I think the second part, which is why Christopher Nolan is my favorite director, is you'll leave with the, with the thought and the desire to go see it again to yeah. better understand the film. And I think that does help that you already have a very complex story to begin with, but I think also the way it was directed and written and portrayed by these actors and actresses, it was done so well that you are saying, well, I actually want to feel this again and I want to go back and understand the film a little bit better. So that's at least what I, what I experienced and I'm glad I went and saw it again. It helped me, it clarified a lot seeing it again. Um, for you, you've pretty much seen it twice because you read the book. Um, but you know, seeing it again will probably be a huge experience as well. Yeah, and I think I think this is one where you'll probably want to watch part two and then rewatch everything together, and that will help you know what to look for in the first one and understand better the second one with more of a recent revisitation of the first movie. So, um, but again, I wouldn't expect going into the second movie with a lot of clarification on like, if you're confused now about a lot of things, you're that's going to just carry over. Like it's yeah. not, it's not a nice tidy bow at the end, just saying like, by the way, here's all your questions uh, answered. It's just kind of like, well, we're just going to continue this kind of choppy story. And then in the end, we're going to just, you know, give you an ending and then you're not, you're going to kind of be left with some cliffhangers and questions and loose ends that aren't tied up. So um, I think they're going to make, I think visually the second movie is going to be incredible um, because it's really going to be able to focus on Arrakis um, and really like give you that feeling. Like you said, you're going to feel something. You felt something in the first movie, but I think you're going to feel even more in the second movie. Um, and I mean, again, just being able to take a, a planet that's just sand and make <laughs> you feel something is, is impressive, you know? Um, yeah. It's it's definitely an experience and I wouldn't try too hard to like understand it. I would just try to experience it and you'll enjoy it a lot more. Um, because if you just try to understand it, you'll probably end up confused. Yeah. Well, I think I could speak for both of us that if you do, if, and when you do go watch this film, we'd be more than happy for you to reach out to us and share your thoughts. I mean, honestly, I, I love hearing what people think about any film in particular, but this one, because I think it was the most anticipated film possibly behind spider-man now that we know that spider-man is coming out this year um but for the last two years this has probably been the most anticipated most built up most you know high volume film and so watch it reach out i want to know your thoughts i want to know your critiques you know that's that's my number one goal is just to have an open conversation with somebody about it but that's pretty much what i have on the docket man yeah i will one last thing that just kind of gets me excited is the you know i've as a lover of books and epic stories and things like that, um, I just think that it's super exciting that Dune got this treatment because like it's it's got like a cult following. It's an older story. Um, but I think this 
just seeing this, the Wheel of Time, the Lord of the Rings remake on Amazon Prime that they're working on, you know, continuing Game of Thrones, like these are all just boding well for, you know, the fantasy and sci-fi genre in its own right. Um, because I've, there's so many great stories and books out there um, that people are afraid to like touch and and get into because they're so long and complex like this. But getting the film treatment for them is just like opening it up to more audiences. Um, as a massive Branderson, Brandon Sanderson fan, I would love to see Sanderson put into film. That's like, with the day that happens, that'll be, I'll be good. Um, but like his books, you know, they're like this thick, they're like hundreds of thousands of words long. Like it's such a task to take something like that and put it into a movie. And, you know, even revisiting Dune and Star Wars recently and Star Trek and all this stuff they've done. I think that's really exciting for this genre because, you know, if you think about it, there's not, a, there's a lot of repetition with these franchises. Like there's a lot of Star Trek movies, a lot of Star Wars movies, but there's not a lot of variety. And so yeah. I think, I think this is boding well, like if Dune does as well as I think it will and is doing, um, that'll kind of open the door for more opportunity with these kind of stories. Um, Cause right now it's a lot of Avengers and a lot of, you know, James Bonds and, you know, stuff like that, which is fun, but it would be nice to like, kind of go back to some of these older stories that are already great and put them into film and, and reach more audiences and let them experience how great this stuff is. Well, so that's, that's where the separation lies, right? You know, mm -hmm. just to, just to wrap up your last point, yeah. you walk, you walk out of no time to die. Great action packed film, but you, I don't think the words coming out of your mouth will be original. No, you walk, you walk out of Dune. I think one of the words that are going to come out of your mouth was, wow, that was original. You know, yes. that was, that was a very original film. And so though you'll enjoy both films, I think you'll enjoy it for completely different reasons. And I completely agree. This opens the door for so many books that I have no idea about. You don't even have a clue yep. about, you read way more than I do. Um, but I think it's a good sign for the film industry as we move forward. Yeah. And one last note, if you are interested in reading the book, like expect it to be choppy and um, a little bit of a hard read um, just because it, there are really slow points and it, and the characters kind of skip along. Um, but reading the book or even just, you know, I wouldn't say Google's information yet until you've seen the second part. But <laughs> if you do want to read the book, it will give you a lot more clarification on the movie. Um, it may not answer all your questions about the story itself, but I think you know, if you are interested, I, I would say, rec I would recommend it. Um, there's a great audio book on audible that has multiple voice actors that kind of make it a little more cinematic. Um, that's how I experienced it. So, um, but yeah, I think those are our thoughts on Dune. Go watch it. If you haven't, if you have, sounds like we need to watch it again. Uh, and we'll sign off this time. And this has been without a mic podcast. I have been Roger <laughs> Spencer. Let's go. We're back. We'll see you guys <laughs> next time. All right. Have a good one.